And it's time for our partnership with the Star Tribune editorial board today. Denise Johnson and John Rash from the Star Tribune are kind enough to join us. Thanks to both of you. We have uh, news involving both police chiefs today in the two major cities. Let's get to Todd Axtell first, uh, John, and then you, Denise, jump in. John, how big a news is this? That a man who's been with the police department in St. Paul, in Axtell, since 1989. His first term will finish uh, next June, but he's decided to make this announcement today, just days away from the election, that he is stepping away and will not be pursuing a second term. It's very significant news, Chad, particularly for the residents of St. Paul, a city that hasn't gotten as much attention as Minneapolis in terms of spiraling crime, but certainly one that is facing significant challenges. And it also comes right before the election in both cities centered around public safety. Again, more attention on Minneapolis because of the second ballot question regarding the future of the police force and a potential public safety department. But this amplifies the concerns that many across both cities have about the lawlessness that has been going on and the ability of their police departments to get on top of it. So expect to hear more about this as the next and very last phase of the campaign continues. Denise, what I find interesting is you have someone as visible as Todd Extel, police chief in the second biggest city in the state, and he puts out a Facebook post on this. But is not answering questions, right? This, the, to me, when you make this decision, especially when you make this decision six days away from an election where you've had philosophical differences with the mayor who's on the ballot, instead of us speculating on different things, Todd Axel should be answering those questions. Well, I agree with you that there are a number of people who would want to know, a lot of voters in St. Paul who would want to know why. Um, Chief Axtell has been uh, among community uh, groups in in the city uh, very uh, popular. Um, He did a lot of work prior to becoming chief with various um, uh, communities, including communities of color and in St. Paul. And I think that um, there are a lot of people that would raise questions about this and that um, you're right, he should be answering some of them. Denise, I'll stay with you on Madera Arredondo. I'm sure your news team, like our news team, found out pretty early this morning that the Minneapolis police chief was going to have a press conference. And again, here we are Wednesday before the election, wondering what he might say. He comes out in a formal way against the Charter Amendment, which would reimagine in a significant way what police would look like in the city, and said he does not see a viable way to replace the police department. What impact do you think this has on the vote to hear from Chief Rondo on this issue, pretty much reaffirming where he has stood? I don't think that that, that this particularly comes as any a surprise, as you know, um, he is in referred to uh, in a number of ads that are out yes. about voting against this. And so um, people, I think, in many voters in Minneapolis are well aware of his position on it. I know there had been a lot of talk about whether or not 
this passes. He's never said this out loud, but certainly I've heard from people that they're concerned that those who want him to remain in the job are concerned that if this passes, he will leave. Uh, and uh, again, as in St. Paul, he is a relatively popular um, uh, police chief who has had better ratings than the mayor, than the mayor and mm-hmm. the city council yep. in right. that city. So uh, uh, where he stands on this uh, can make a difference to uh, voters who feel strongly about voting against question two. John, we already know that early voting has already surpassed 2017 in Minneapolis. And you obviously have the council and the mayor up for reelection, but, but this and other amendments are driving this. This is, this is a tough one to answer. But for the folks who are undecided at this point and haven't voted, does Aaron Dondo carry a fair amount of weight with those folks? Indeed, he does. He seems to be among, if not the most popular politician. And certainly he's a police professional, but he's involved in the political process on a daily basis. So he's very well looked at in all of those endeavors. And as Denise so correctly said, this was not you know, a revelation. It's more of a, a reaffirmation of what, uh, where the chief stood on this issue. But to a certain degree, it will also likely reverberate to those who side with him on this issue, including Mayor Fry and city council candidates who are against ballot question two. So it's more amplification of that message and the pro amendment to uh, individuals, while they certainly have a very robust political operation, they don't have a public figure with the stature and and then um, as well known as as the police chief. So certainly that perhaps will push a, f- a few of those undecided, as you mentioned, Chad, um, towards the decision that the chief would make. Remind folks, John Rash and Denise Johnson with this is playing politics with the Star Tribune. John, the paper has reported today really the significant advantage the two mayors have in Minneapolis and St. Paul regarding fundraising. There are times that is a direct correlation to winning, other times it is irrelevant. But it is a reminder, John, that when you get into office for positions of a certain level of import, it is a very strong advantage you have to raise money. Right. And it's one thing when Jacob Fry was the contender trying to take on Betsy Hodges. But now you see the disparity in a race that I I know some polling came out recently that I think a lot of people believe maybe the Fry folks leaked out. But there are others who see the race closer. But it is a tough challenge financially in a lot of cities across this country to defeat a mayor when we're talking about just the money in that challenge. Indeed, it is. And. You're quite right, and it's not just mayoral races. You look at Congress, and incumbents are reelected at astounding numbers, often in the 90-plus percentage range on any individual year. There are usually probably more retirements than defeats in congressional races every two years. So, yes, it's certainly incumbency certainly is an advantage, but there are times when a challenger can beat an incumbent despite the money coming into an incumbent. And indeed, Mayor Fry should know that well, because just four years ago, he beat Mayor Hodges in an election as a sitting city council member. And without the backdrop of the controversy that has 
so uh, riven this this race in terms of, of course, the pandemic and what the murder of George Floyd and and the uh, policing issues that we've discussed before. So it can and does happen, but certainly you want to be in the financial position that Mayor Fry is as opposed to his challengers. Denny, you said a lot of uh, electoral positions, a debate comes up regarding term limits. Do you see a scenario where in the cities of Minneapolis or St. Paul that would become even more prominent? Um, I don't know if that that will be an issue that would come out of of this election. If I could just uh, you know briefly get back to the question sure. of the um, amount uh, that both mayors have raised, I want to point out in this election, um, there is a significant amount of money coming in based on the um, ballot questions. Definitely, um, I don't think that this has happened before. Where you're seeing millions of dollars in contributions coming in around you know the Minneapolis is. It's sort of ground zero for uh, concerns about police de- departments and their structure. And so that could have an impact, um, in, in my view, on whether or not um, there will be an advantage in having so much more money on the part of both mayors. Let's pause right there. We'll come back with John and Denise. I want to move now to D.C. and what is taking place with the Democrats and will they actually get something done? The president is leaving for the global summit tomorrow. They have said for a while there wasn't a deadline. That's the deadline. Is it actually going to happen that they're going to come together on both bills? We'll debate that in moments here on CCO. All Steely Dan all day. It's 51 past 12. Chad Hartman with Denise Johnson and John Rash from the Star Tribune. The narrow margin in the House Really, no margin in the Senate continues to baffle and befuddle the Democrats, in particular Senators Sinema and Manchin, trying to get a deal done on the reconciliation bill and the bipartisan bill. The reconciliation bill, it appears that the top line number now, John and Denise, is 1.75. But then we have this debate on the billionaire's tax. We have this debate on a corporate tax. We have the legality of the billionaire's tax. John, Joe Biden leaves tomorrow for a climate summit where he wants this done. He wants to show the rest of the world we get things done, in particular on climate. Will it happen? Will the Democrats come to an agreement in the next 24 hours? Not even President Biden knows that. He certainly wants to project presidential confidence that it will happen and certainly with Senators Cinema and Manchin, he has said in these closed-door meetings that they can't send him empty to Glasgow for the climate conference. That could happen, however, because both of those senators have as much power right now in Washington as the president does, and they keep shooting down these plans. I can't emphasize enough, I happen to be writing about this for my column this week, that if President Biden goes to this conference and has not been able to legislatively achieve a significant mitigation effort against climate change when his own party controls the legislative branch, that that is going to not look good and not put him in a position to prod other countries, allies, certainly adversaries as well. And already at the climate conference, you don't have President Putin and President Xi of China attending. And so 
it, the chance of success there is already tenuous. But uh, I'm sure President Biden will really put the press on them to come to something. So it's not a diplomatic setback on top of the ones he's already experienced regarding Afghanistan and France as just two examples. Denise, if if they don't get it done in the next 24 hours, um, we've seen deadlines pass for both parties before, and, and there really is no deadline. But should we believe they're going to get this done, right? And and just from what, what you know also on – listen, I think almost everybody in this country except for the very few billionaires who would face this – we all are uh, befuddled and, and angry about the fact that these folks can make this extraordinary money and pay no taxes. But it has to hold up legally. And, and, and if they explore this with enough depth to know if this will hold up when individuals challenge this. Well, they, you know, there are a number of different minds on this. Um, the uh, mansion has talked about uh, some kind of a flat tax that might um, apply to those, what, 700 or so billionaires as right. opposed to the other measures that, uh, you know, that are currently um, uh, proposals that are out there now. Um I, and I and I don't think that this is something that they will get done today. Even though Pelosi, I think, and and Schumer are saying, you know, trying to be optimistic about it and say that they that they can. Um, Manchin has come out today. I heard him earlier today say that that that's that that's not going to happen. They have to continue um, negotiating on this. Um, so that's kind of you know where I I I think it is right now. And I. I know the president wants to have something to mm-hmm. take with him when he goes, but I'm just not sure that that's going to happen. I don't. I don't think it's going to happen, John. I'll just give you the last word on kind of the same thing on the legality of it. Who who doesn't come away with this and seeing Elon Musk and Jeff Bezos and others and say, "Come on, this this isn't equal. This isn't fair." But we also need to know that if you're going to implement this, and this is a huge funding mechanism, does this hold up legally? And a lot of smart people who aren't just opponents of it, but just smart individuals have said, we're not certain how the courts would look at this. Indeed. And beyond the legal the legal issue, there's the political issue. And uh, Senator Manchin has called it divisive in terms of doing something like this. So he seems to set against it. So I'm not even sure it'll get that legal test. And if it does get that legal test, it could set back the entire bill or stall it at this point. So I concur with both you and Denise. I mean, it's really going down to the wire here. I, in the end, don't think it's going to be this billionaire tax because of all the questions associated with it. It may be a flat corporate tax um, that they can come to some kind of an agreement with, but it's really going to be difficult to get more than just a handshake deal by the end of the day when he leaves. Now, of course, he can continue to negotiate as he's in the air, as he's headed to the G20 summit and the climate conference. But again, that's not the position the president wants to be in. I got to jump in. We got to go. Thanks so much to both of you. Linda's construction time check is 157. Time to request a free estimate on energy saving infinity from Marvin Windows.